When I went to India uh, a few years ago, Dr. Doss, who was the president, told some interesting stories about what took place when they first got to the school. Now, I shared some of those stories with you in the past, but uh, let me remind you a few of them. One of them was that when he got to that school, there was a lot of Hindu and Muslim students that were going to that school. It was the Seventh-day Adventist College. And there was all sorts of problems from demon possessions to evil apparitions that were appearing to the local villagers wanting to burn down the school because the little kids wanted to love Jesus more. And so all these things were taking place. So they, he immediately called the whole school and said, we're going to have a 24-hour prayer vigil. And so what happened is that 24 hours straight, people began to pray. Even the Hindus and Muslims wanted to be part of that prayer thing. But he told them, all right, you can be part of it as long as you are praying only in the name of Jesus. But they were really, they agreed to that. And so they joined in, and for 24 hours, God was being supplicated on behalf of the school. Now what is so amazing, shortly after, the local villagers actually came in the middle of the night one time to burn down the school. You know, in, think of says India, we still live in the Middle Ages sometimes. They came there with uh, actually these firebrands, and they went up to the, the door of the school, the entrance of the school, and they were ready to burn down the school. And Dr. Doss went to talk to them to calm them down, and they said, no, you are converting our children. And he's like, I'm not forcing anybody into doing that. They even called some of the children to testify, and the villagers got really angry and still wanted to burn down that school. Well, they left that night. And it seemed like everything was okay. One of the teachers in the school went into town, and he actually ran into one of the crazy villagers. The villager told him, he said, you know, last night we left the school. We were so ready to burn down that school. We decided we would come back in a few hours behind the school to burn it down. And he said, so we did. We got our uh, brands, we lit them on fire. We went around the, behind the school, and we were going, because behind the school it's an open area, it's not walled off like the front, and we were about to approach when all of a sudden we saw these, and they use the Indian word, which means strong, these six foot, I don't know how big they were, they were about really big, and they used the word takara, which means strong, and these men dressed in uniforms, six feet apart, all across the field, guarding the entire school. And he said, where did you get those people? And the teacher immediately recognizing what was going on, he said, oh, that's our army. (laughs) And we can call them anytime we want to. There was no explanation except that angels were involved in the intervention of that school. If we pray as a church family, God can do some amazing things. Amen? Why don't we start with the word of prayer and let's ask God to grant us a measure of faith that he's going to bless us today. Father in heaven, right now we just want to come to your throne and we just want to pray and ask for the Holy Spirit. God, you said ask for rain in the time of latter rain and he will send forth flashing clouds. So Lord, right now we just pray and we supplicate the throne of God for the latter rain experience. Lord, we are looking for more than just a sermon. We are praying by the time we end this sermon, our hearts have been changed by coming into your presence. Thank you. In Jesus' name, shake us up. Amen. All right. Name of the sermon today is called Captain Shackleton. Anybody know who Ernest Shackleton is? Raise your hand. Very interesting individual. In fact, you can go online, you can go onto YouTube, you can watch a documentary about Ernest Shackleton. He was a very interesting gentleman. 
He was a captain of several expeditions, and one of the expeditions he took was a place that he wanted to go to. It was the Antarctic. And uh, what was so interesting, he wanted to break ground during this heroic age of exploration. He wanted to go to the Antarctic. There were scientists who were willing to be part of this expedition. It was going to be a very dangerous journey. The name of the ship was called the Endurance. The Endurance. And what happens is, he took 27 men that consisted of uh, people who were bakers, to people who were cooks, to people who were sailors, to scientists, and they journeyed onto this ship called, they got onto the Endurance, and they sailed all the way to the Antarctic. Now what happens is, as they were getting closer and closer, all of a sudden they ran into packed ice, and they were stuck there. What was so amazing about that whole situation is, they were there for several months, and not one person died on that expedition. Eventually, they had to eat all the dogs that they took with them, but nobody actually perished in this expedition. He came back alive along with his uh, sailors as well, and there's a wonderful story about just the, the heroism that took place during this crazy, intense expedition. Now, I'm going to share with you is what's considered by many people his advertisement for sailors to come onto this journey. Now, we're looking back in hindsight, and we know about some of the things that took place. But imagine if you weren't there uh, prior and looking back, but you were actually at that moment right before the ship was going to take off and when they were hiring sailors to be part of this. Now, here is the advertisement to be on this crazy expedition right here. Take a good look at this. Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful. I love that part. <laughs> Honor and recognition in case of success. Now, how many people do you think that would attract? One in our church. 5,000 men put their application in. 5,000 men. They were so excited about this. They said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to be part of this journey. We got one life to live. We don't want to live it with no regrets. And so they took that ad and several of them put in their applications. Now just take a good look at that. Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful. In other words, you're probably going to die on this trip. Think about that. And then it says, honor and recognition in case of success. All the chips are on the table here. And what is so amazing is I was looking at this advertisement that Ernest Shackleton actually used to get people on there. I thought to myself, imagine if that was our baptismal vow for our churches. You join this church, you may die. Small wages, long months, a bitter cold. Can you imagine that if that was our baptismal guide for our church? Nowadays, we have a baptismal guide that consists of, do you believe in the Sabbath? Yes. Do you believe in the 2300 days of prophecies? Yes. Do you believe in paying tithes? Yes. Do you believe in the state of the dead? Yes, 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 yes. But imagine if this was the guide right here. Right before the church, here's the advertisement. Well, you want to be part of the church? I want you to check this off if you are willing to be part of a hazardous journey, a dangerous journey. Imagine if someone said, hey, if you we want, want to be part of this, you are going to become the target of Satan's attacks. 
There are small wages. In fact, no one's really going to recognize the work you're going to do for him. Not on this side of heaven. And what if they put safe return doubtful? Actually, we're not even sure if you're going to make it to heaven. Can you imagine how many people would not want to be part of the church anymore? How many people would say, you know what, actually I'm going to back away from this. I've actually decided that this is a little too intense for me. Ladies and gentlemen, what is so interesting is this was actually a very real kind of advertisement for the early church. If you wanted to be part of the early church, most likely you were going to die for your faith. If you wanted to be part of the early church, most likely no one would recognize all the things that you do for God. You want to be part of the early church? Guess what? You would be giving away your time, your resources, and your talents. And we're not even sure you're going to make it to heaven. Can you imagine that? That was what it was like to be part of the early church. When you read the book of Acts, it was very similar to that kind of commitment. It was a very dangerous, risk-taking, radical commitment to God. Now these days, if you want to be part of the church, check off the baptismal guide and sit anywhere you'd like in the pew and disappear when the service is over. That's not what it was like with the early church. That's not what it was like. You want to be part of this expedition? Your life was about to be put into danger. In fact, when you read the book of Acts, as we talked about in the previous week, the book of Acts is not about a church building. It's about a church people. Amen? Church is not referred to as a building in the book of Acts. People are referred to as the church in the book of Acts. And what we're going to be taking a good look at is one dangerous experience that took place in the lives of a couple disciples. Take your Bible. Let's go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. This is describing what it was like to be part of the early church. Sometimes they would go out into town and be captured. Other times they could be martyred. Sometimes stoned. And this was their daily experience. So here's the story about a few disciples who decide to go into town and tell people about Jesus. In the early church, there was no lukewarmness. Either you were in the church and converted, or you were out of the church and lost. That's the way it was. And so in Acts chapter 4, you're going to hear the story of how some converted men came into some very precarious situations. Are we in Acts chapter 4? Please say amen if you're there. Let's start with verse 1. Now as they spoke to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They laid hands on them, put them in custody until the next day, and it, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. This was a regular occurrence for the disciples. You go out into town, you tell people about Jesus, you're arrested. You're arrested. You're put in jail. When's the last time you passed out a piece of literature and you were handcuffed for putting that piece of literature in someone's hand? One, two, three, actually zero. There's nobody that has probably had that experience in our church. But for these disciples, you go talk about Jesus, you are handcuffed. And so this is what took place. In fact, this is what's so surprising when I think about this. This really touches my heart. Right now, we have Christian brothers and sisters on the other side of the world right now 
who are in dungeons and jails, who are being tortured and suffering for the faith, even now as I am speaking these words, right at this very moment. The family that you're a part of, ladies and gentlemen, they're suffering on the other side of this world. So here's a story of Peter, James, and John, or Peter and John. They get put into prison by the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They were upset that they were preaching the truth about Jesus. That name infuriated them. They didn't want anything to do with it because it reminded them of their guilt, the guilt that they had when they crucified the Son of God. And so what took place is very interesting. Go to the next verse, verse 5. And it came to pass on the next day that the rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in their midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? They gathered these disciples and they put them right there. And you know what was so interesting? Annas and Caiaphas were there, the very ones that were responsible for the murder of Jesus. Can you imagine these disciples looking before the murderers of their teacher, of their savior? And there they are, and they're there, and they're breathing out these threats to these disciples. Why are you doing this? And in whose name are you doing this? And what takes place is something so unusual. Peter begins to give this beautiful speech about the glory of God and about the guilt of mankind and how redemption is found in Jesus. Now, what I want to hone in on was their reception of the speech that just took place. Take a good look. Go all the way to chapter 4. I want you to see what it says in verse 13. Now, when they saw the what? Boldness of who? Peter and John. And perceived that they were what? Uneducated and unwhat? Trained men they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. Verse 14, and seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say, what? Nothing against it. Here they are, these priests, these Sadducees, these rulers, are looking at these disciples right after that powerful Holy Holy Spirit-led speech. And as they're there, all of a sudden, this great conviction begins to hit on them. And the Bible begins to describe how the Pharisees were viewing the situation. How they were viewing the situation. They saw three things. And you know what they saw? Take a good look at the very first verse found in verse 13. Look at what these priests saw at these disciples. Now when they saw the what? Boldness of who? Peter and who? You know what's so amazing? Peter was one of the older disciples. John was the youngest. Okay? We always say there's only going to be an army of youth that's going to finish the work. Wrong. It's going to be an army of old people, too. Combined with the army of youth, right? Don't just say, let's just have the army of young people that are going to finish the work. Some of you elderly people, it's like, no, we're going to finish the work, too. Right? And so Peter and John, one of the older ones and one of the younger ones, were together. And here they are. And this is their reception by the priest. The priest says this. Look what it says in verse 13. Now when they, what's that key word? Saw the who? Boldness of Peter and John. Now watch this and perceived that they were what? Uneducated, untrained men. Pay attention. The very first thing they saw was the confidence of these disciples. The second thing they saw, it says they perceived, which is a word very similar to seeing, right? They were seeing that they were what? Uneducated and what? Untrained men. Now I want you to see the third thing they see that convicts them. Verse 14, and seeing the who? 
the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. Notice this, ladies and gentlemen. These Pharisees and Sadducees, they saw three powerful things in this confrontation. Number one, they saw something amazing. They saw that these men had boldness. The second thing they saw is that they saw that they were uneducated and they were unlearned men. The third thing they saw was the fruits of their ministry, a man who was actually healed. This is amazing. They were utterly convicted by what takes place here. Nobody could deny it. In fact, in the next part of the passage, it says that when they caught together, they realized that this miracle actually took place and they could not deny it anymore. They said, we have to stop this. There was no skepticism about the miracle. They knew it was very blatant. But this is very interesting. Pay attention to what these people are seeing in these disciples. Number one, it says they saw their boldness. The word boldness is the word peresia. Now, the word peresia is not just a, a word meaning someone who can yell or talk loud. Sometimes we say, that brother's bold or that sister's bold because they speak with a loud voice. Wrong. The word boldness here is a very unique Greek word. It's the word peresia, which means to be able to speak at the risk of your own life. That's what they were speaking with. This is not an ordinary kind of courage. This is a supernatural kind of courage. It only appears a few times in the Bible. And what it is, they were praying for this very special, God-given, unique kind of courage and boldness. And they saw these men, these disciples, who they expect to be quivering and shaking before the Pharisees and Sadducees. They were the murderers of Christ. And here they were. They were looking down at these disciples and expected to see these men who were fearful. But instead... They saw calmness, serenity, a peace that was not natural. A lot of times we think being bold for Christ is being annoying for Christ. Start a ministry, annoying for Adonai. Or we think boldness is being critical. Unfortunately, the Seventh-day Adventist Church has sometimes adopted this stance. We're called to be a prophet to the world. God has not called you to be a prophet to the world. He's called you to be an apostle to the world. Amen? And these words that they were speaking were bold were because they were talking about the love of God. They were uplifting Christ on the cross, and that could not be denied. And they saw, and they said, that takes courage to talk about the love of God. That takes courage to stand for Jesus, the one who was just embarrassed before all of Israel. Now, the second thing is, it says they saw that they were what? Untrained and what? Uneducated. The word untrained is a very interesting word. Or the one er, word uneducated. It's the word egramatos, which means lacking grammar. Do you know where these disciples were from? They were from Galilee. It even says in the book of Acts, they spoke with a Galilean accent. Do you know what Galilee was known for? Essentially, they were the hillbillies of Israel. That's what they were known for. Because they didn't speak in a very clear uh, fashion. They didn't articulate their words very well. When they spoke, it was like, they were like, ta- like, I mean, it was just like that. And they perceived that these men, it says they perceived. Doesn't mean that was the reality. They thought that these men were un- un- unlearned. The word uneducated is the word idiotos. Do you know what the word idiotos means? Oh, you know that. <laughs> Think about it. When they were looking at these disciples, they perceived them. It doesn't mean that was the reality. It says they perceived them to be men who couldn't speak well, and they were idiots. They were idiots. 
You're saying the disciples are idiots? Yeah, read the Gospels. And you'll find out the frustration they caused Jesus. Amen? In fact, one day when Lazarus was, uh, was dead and the disciples said, hey, why are we going over there? And Jesus said, well, we want to raise him from the dead. He's sleeping right now. And the disciples said, well, it's probably good if we die also in sleep. What? They totally missed every time Jesus was speaking. Every single time. But God was so patient with them, wasn't he? So here it is. The first thing they see about these disciples is that they were confident. The second thing they see is that they were untrained men, that they were essentially, they looked like fools. And then the third thing they see, the Bible says something very interesting. They had the man they had just healed with them. There was nothing undeniable about this man. In fact, the Bible says they knew it was a miracle because the man was over 40 years old. This wasn't was like something like he was just a quick buck 20-year-old who just got up, was able to get back on the road. There was nothing natural about this. This man was older, and he was completely healed. Ladies and gentlemen, God calls us to bear the same testimony to this whole world as well. And when we go to God with boldness, like the Bible says, that's where that other word is used, boldness to come to the throne of God, God will grant to us courage and fearlessness to be able to witness for him. We may be people who are not trained in theological schooling. Guess what? The best theologians of our church don't even know how to raise a church. And so over here, here these men are, they're looking, and they're just so shocked and surprised. They're like, wait a minute, it seems like they have been with Jesus because they knew Jesus had no formal education as well. But they understood that these men spoke with the persuasiveness that was only contributed or attributed to the Holy Spirit. People are going to see your weaknesses when you speak, but that's okay. Amen? Sometimes we try to hide our weakness and pretend that we are completely perfect people. Are you perfect people? Paul even said, did you say you're perfect, Scott? (laughs) Amen. I thought I heard something over there. I I heard all this great, but he's not perfect. You know what I mean? So here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. Notice this. Number one, they noticed that these men were bold. Number two, they noticed their weaknesses were coming out. There was nothing hidden about their weaknesses. Paul even says, I boast in my weaknesses that Christ may be stronger. So they hid nothing about their weakness, and here they were. The third thing they saw was the fruits of their ministry. They actually had a man next to them who was changed by the ministry. And the whole world marveled at this. Ladies and gentlemen, we begin to realize, number one, we can be bold when we ask Jesus for boldness. Amen? Number two, We don't have to hide our weaknesses. This is who you are. Now, I know the line between personality and sin sometimes gets very altered, and it's hard to tell. Is it sin or is it personality? Is it sin or is it personality? But here's the thing. You need to trust in the righteousness of Christ and go forward in spite of it. I have one of the most unique personalities in this world. You know how I know this? Because I'm me. You have one of the most unique personalities in this world. Do you know how you know that? It's not a hard one. Because you're you. And nobody is you. And nobody is me. And what God is doing through your God-given personality that's even full of its weakness, he is conveying truth that is coming out through a very dynamic angle. In other words, what's happening is when the Holy Spirit's communicating through you, you're able to present a perspective and picture or an angle of God that others may not see in somebody else. 
Many times I preach something, like I preach a message over and over again, somebody else will come up after me, they'll say something in like two words, and it's like everybody gets it. I was like, I just spent one hour saying the exact same thing. But then it dawns on me, God is using that person in their individuality to bring out the truth. Amen? The third thing is, they actually had fruits of their ministry. When the whole world sees, wait, wait a minute, God is working. Take a good look at this guy. He was just healed by us. It was undeniable to all these disciples. They could not hide it anymore. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to remember these principles when we're doing evangelism. We need to remember these principles as we're working with the people around us in our neighborhoods. God wants to do some mighty things in our church, right? Take your Bible. Continue going to Acts chapter 4. Now go all the way to Acts chapter 31. For chapter 4, verse 31. The disciples, they get freed. The Pharisees realized they could not controvert them, so they let these disciples go. The testimony was so powerful, it was so undeniable from these men. They let them all go. So they let them all go, and what these disciples do is amazing. They get together with the rest of the disciples, and take a good look at verse 31. Let's go to verse 27, excuse me. For truly your holy servant Jesus, whom you've anointed, both Herod whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before them to be done. Now look at verse 29. As they're praying together as a group, now, Lord, look on their what? Threats and grant to your servants that with all what? Boldness they may speak your word. You know what they're now praying for more of? They're praying for even more boldness. More of this unique kind of... uh, confidence that only comes from God. This is not your own confidence. This is not your own self-esteem here, ladies and gentlemen. What this is, this is a holy boldness that comes from God himself to speak the truth about the gospel. Not to criticize, but to lift up the truth about who Jesus is. And if we have so much light, we need to do all we can to lift that light up to this dark world, right? Let's continue. Verse 31. And when they had what? Prayed. The place where they were assembled together was what? Shaken. And they were all filled with the what? Holy Spirit. And spoke the word of God with what? Boldness. All of a sudden they get together. They're praying for boldness. And the Bible says the place was shaken. There was a great earthquake during that prayer meeting. And here they are. All of a sudden they felt this God-given courage to share the gospel with the rest of the world. You don't have this God-given courage. I don't have this God-given courage. But if we pray for it, God will give it to anybody who asks for it. Amen? The love of Jesus was now compelling them. They knew their Savior had paid the ultimate price for them, and they were determined to spread the message of His love to this whole world, to share this beautiful truth, and they would not let the devil or his agents prevent the gospel from going to the whole world. They were praying for more than just boldness, ladies and gentlemen. That English word has restricted it, but it was the word peresia. They were praying for a God-given, holy courage. When is the last time you prayed for a God-given, holy courage? I'm going to confess something to you guys right now. We have about uh, five Bible workers. We have our cross trainer and then four of the interns. You know how they keep doing all this outreach stuff? Amen. 
it's amen until they ask you to be part of it. Some of them have been asking me to go with them. And, uh, you know, you may think, oh, you're Pastor Nell. I want you to know something. If I don't do it for a few months, let me tell you something. It becomes harder to do it again. Uh, you know, I've been doing a lot of preaching elsewhere. And so they've been coming to me and they're saying, hey, we want you to go door to door. And inside I start cringing. You know what that's about, right? And they're just like, you know, when they come to you, they're like, hey, brother, you're going door to door with us afterwards? Yeah. And you're just staying there. You're like, yeah, I'm going to go to potluck. Then I'm going to get out through the back door, right? I know some of you guys. I see how fast your car gets out of here. So, that, you know, this has been happening over the course of the last few months. And I've been able to dodge it in a sanctified manner. Something will come. I need to attend to that. So this has been really convicting me lately. And so yesterday, I just felt this conviction. I was like, look, I'm not going to go with any of them. I'm going to go to Walmart. I'm going to take some literature with me, and I'm going to go pass out stuff out there on my own. And so I was like, okay, God, I need this holy boldness. I need this courage right now because it's not easy. It's not easy. So I took some literature. I stuffed it into my pocket. I went to Walmart. I was, I was looking for a chef's apron. I'm going to do, make it camouflage for the whole amen thing, you know, just to make it cool. And so I was going through there, and I was passing out flyers. And then I had this one flyer left. One flyer left, okay? And there was somebody behind me, and they were talking to the cashier, and I was like, I should give them this one flyer. But I turned around, and it was just that awkward moment where you can't just, like, interrupt them. And so I was like, okay, God, you give me so much courage. I need you to help me with this one. And so I was just there. I kept looking. The cashier let me go through, and I was like, okay. I kept looking, and I was like... I kept looking, and I was just like, no, it's just not the right time. And then I just walked away. I'm like, sorry, God, I just didn't do it. I just didn't do it. And I was walking out with this one flyer, and I was like, God, we need to get this flyer back in. Somehow, someway, lay it upon my heart. Somebody to give this flyer to. And you know what's so funny? This is so funny. The Lord has a great sense of humor. All of a sudden, one of our church members, Brittany Cook, she was walking just the other way. And she was walking, and I was like, hey, I got this flyer left. Give this to somebody at Walmart. And she's like, okay. And you know what's so interesting? She even said this to me. She's like, yeah, I know a bunch of people at Walmart. And she went in there and she passed out that last flyer. But I was so amazed because God wanted those flyers to go out for some reason. And I was like, okay, God, I'm going to get them in as much as possible. And even when I fail to get the last one in, God sent somebody else in there. Here's the thing. God is allowing us the privilege to do the work of angels. Next week, we got a series going on and we have thousands of flyers left. We didn't do a mail out this time. And so it's like, how do we get these flyers out? The flyers are going to go out when you start passing those flyers out. You don't even have to have all the education. You don't have to have all the knowledge of the teachings. All you need to do is say, brother, here is a flyer. Check it out. And then you can take off running right afterwards. That's it. You can take off running. You can peel out of there. I've done it a couple times. But hand the flyer to them. And trust Jesus that he's going to continue to speak to those people. Amen? What is so amazing, this has been hitting me more and more as I'm studying the book of Acts. As I am realizing this more and more, it is dawning on me. The book of Acts is about God removing barriers. It's about God removing what? Barriers. Do you know what a barrier is? A barrier is something or an obstacle that prevents you from going forward. In the book of Acts, there are several barriers that are set up by the people. God has been waiting till the time of Solomon to let in a bunch of people. 
And what God has to do before he can let all these Gentiles in, he has to keep removing barriers. And every time he removes a barrier, this flood of people comes in. He removes another barrier. This flood of people comes in. He removes another barrier. This flood of people comes in. Ladies and gentlemen, the barrier was found in God's own people. In fact, when you read the book of Acts, take a good look at this. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. The disciples were together and were praying with one accord with the women and the uh, family of Jesus. And what was so amazing is these disciples did not pray together before like this. What was being removed? The pride barrier. The next time you read about Acts, Acts chapter 2, you find out it says they were all one accord. It didn't even mention the various categories that were part of their prayer group. It wasn't the disciples and the women and the family of Jesus. It was they were all in one accord. Gender barriers were being removed. If you read Acts chapter 2 verse 6, the very first thing God gives to people is the gift of what? Tongues. Why? Because God is removing a language barrier. And every time a barrier is removed, a flood of people come in. Then God is removing financial barriers. The Bible says in Acts chapter 4, they begin to share everything one to, with one another. And as they did that, all of a sudden, the church began to grow. Then the next barrier is removed is the priestly barrier. When the seven deacons were organized, the Bible says a great many of the priests came in there. Now the barrier that prevented the priest from joining the disciples was now gone, and all of a sudden, the priest began to come in. When you read about Acts chapter 10, Peter began to pray, and, and Cornelius was praying. And this was already after the A.D. 34 date has passed. But God still could not let the Gentiles in because Peter and some of the disciples were still not ready even after the stoning of Stephen, even after the 70-week prophecy had come to an end. And when Peter was convicted that he should call no man unclean or common, all of a sudden, the Gentiles begin to flood in. Then when you read Acts chapter 25, verse 12, even the royalty itself was now being converted. It even says in Timothy that members of Nero's own household were now turning to the gospel. Every time a barrier was removed in the book of Acts, ladies and gentlemen, more people flooded the church. More people flooded the church. More people flooded the church. And what's dawning on me more and more, ladies and gentlemen, is that there are barriers in our hearts. We've been praying for so many people outside the church. And the problem is there's been no real self-examination. We have set up barriers. Now, I love tradition. But ladies and gentlemen, if tradition violates the commandments, tradition becomes inflexible, or tradition no longer is relevant to humanity, it is a barrier to the Spirit of God. It is a barrier. And in the book of Acts, you see these disciples removing every single barrier as they're searching their hearts. And as they're searching their hearts, all of a sudden, it's that 3,000 came in, 5,000 came in, a great many of the priests came in, many Gentiles came in. Over and over, the church was now being flooded. But they had one thing in common. All these barriers were not removed because of some conference, some committee, or some convention. Every time a barrier removed, it always was surrounding by prayer. Prayer was revolving around every single circumstance that removed this barrier that was inside of God's people. They didn't have some great committee and said, hey, let's just talk about what we should do right here. Prayer was revolving around it, and as prayer revolved around it, God removed those barriers, and all of a sudden, the church began to be full. Ladies and gentlemen, there are barriers to the gospel right now. 
The barriers in the gospel are not found because of Sharia law in the Middle East. The barriers to the gospel are not found because of persecution taking place. The barriers are found in God's own people right now. And before God can flood the church, he's asking us to search our heart and to start praying, Lord, remove those barriers that are standing in the way. And when those barriers are removed, you will see God do some marvelous work such as you have never seen before. I love what Elmite says right here. This is amazing. Let me tell you that the Lord will work in this last work. That's talking about this work. In a manner very much out of the what? Common order of things. And in a way that will be contrary to any what? Human planning. The workers will be surprised by the simple means that he will use to bring about and perfect his work of righteousness. It's going to utterly shock people in the way that God is working at the end of time. It's going to be a surprise. We'll scratch your heads like, I didn't realize that. And it will start, ladies and gentlemen, when we become a people who are praying. And when we become a people who are not criticizing others, but a people who are criticizing our own selves. And as we are doing that, God will remove one barrier and another barrier. And you will see the great flood of people he has been waiting to bring in ever since the time of Solomon. God is calling us to search our hearts. God is calling us to be like those disciples. We want to be bold. We want to be able to share these great truths. We want to be able to do these things. God is saying to us, it's time for you to remove those barriers that are in your heart. You may not even recognize those barriers, but you have been preventing my people from coming in. That's a scary thought. But I'm willing to let God examine me personally to find out what those barriers are. Are you? Are you willing to let Jesus speak to your own heart and reveal that which has been preventing him from doing a great and mighty work in our time, in our church? Are you willing to open your heart to the Spirit of God to this? Because God has been waiting to do something amazing, something that will surprise you, that has never been done before. I want to end with just a very simple appeal. The appeal is this. Before God will do that great and mighty work, before he will grant to us to be able to speak with that boldness the word of God, the experience that is found in the book of Acts, God is asking that today we would begin by asking him to remove those barriers in our hearts today. Whether it's pride, whether it's financial, whether it's gender, whether it's racial, Rather, it's cultural. If there is a barrier in your heart, ladies and gentlemen, you need to let God take it out because you are becoming a hindrance to the gospel. And God does not want that for nobody here. Amen? How many people are willing to do that? Say, I'm willing to pray right now and ask God to remove any barrier in my heart. I want him to work. Let's get on our knees and let's pray. Let's pray and ask Jesus to remove this barrier any barrier as it is. The gospel is going forward. And we don't want to be a hindrance to it. Father, right now we just want to take a moment of silence to pray and ask you to take out that which is
preventing you from working in our church, in our lives. Father in heaven, right now we are praying as a church. The Bible describes that when they were assembled and they prayed, praying for unity, praying for boldness, praying that nothing would hinder you from working. The Bible says the place where they were at was shaken and they were able to speak the word of God with boldness. Lord, if there is something in our heart that is preventing you from working in even a greater way in our own lives and the lives of the people around us, Father, remove those things. We can't do it on our own. And we're asking you, Jesus, to do that which only you can do. We want nothing to hinder the Spirit of God. We don't want to be a barrier, Lord, to people coming into our church, people being saved. Father, thank you because I know that you have heard our prayers. And Lord, as we leave this place, may you bless us with courage and the peresia, the holy boldness to communicate the gospel to your lost children. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.